Hi, New City family. I am so excited to be with you this morning. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Kristen, and I am going to um, be specifically talking about the conversion of Lydia this morning. I'm really uh, looking forward to diving into this text because it's one of my favorite stories in scripture. Um, I truly believe in the work that God is doing in women, um, both like past, present, and future all around the world. And um, yet we only have so many stories that are about women in the Bible. Um, but this is one of my favorites because it's a story in many ways of um, simplicity of coming to Christ and um, simplicity of following him afterwards. So often in so many religions, we find that it's like a list of rules or you have to do this and you have to be that and you have to, um, you know, there's just so many things that you have to do um, in order to be like a true follower of that religion. But um, with Christ, he purely just says like, come as you are and then follow me. And that's it. And that's an exciting story that we are going to be talking about with Lydia today. So I'm going to be reading from Acts 16, um, specifically starting in verse 9. This will be kind of my um, like launching scripture. We're going to jump to a couple of other places as well. But I just want to go ahead and read this to get started. Acts 16, 9 through 15. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. Sorry if I'm not saying that right. And the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Theashra, and a, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay and she prevailed upon us. I'm gonna pray and then we'll jump in. God, I just wanna thank you so much for the beauty of um, conversions and the many incredible stories that we're seeing in Acts um, where you are stepping in wherever people are and um, changing their lives um, and often the lives of those around them forever. I ask that you would open our eyes and open our ears as we jump into Lydia's story this morning, amen. So the first thing that I want to talk to about is this idea of the position that Lydia was in before um, her conversion, just like um, uh, Jared and Patrick and um, Jay have been walking us through these kind of four parts of the conversion. I'm going to do the same thing today. So the first one is the position. Uh, I'm not going to go in order in the ideas of the scripture because I think there's a logical order that is much more interesting to me. Uh, so bear with me as I jump around a little bit. But the first thing that we know about Lydia is that she's a woman. Obviously, um, it's pretty clear <laughs> it says she's a woman. Um, and this is a story that's kind of looked to in scripture um, as a story about a woman who is faithfully following God. Uh, and I love how it says, on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Now it's really interesting that unique, or really interesting and unique that Paul and his companions went to the river and found women praying. So that it's on the Sabbath, 
They're expecting there to be a place of prayer, which is another word for the synagogue. And they're looking for the synagogue, thinking that it might be beside the river. Now, we don't know if they were actually looking for a physical synagogue or if they were just looking for a meeting place, but either way, they were looking for people who were going to be honoring the Lord. The fact that there's not that many men mentioned in this story, well, there's none except for Paul and his companions, and the lack of a physical synagogue, but instead they're just meeting by the river, indicates that there were not actually that many men worshiping um, in Philippi and uh, that there just weren't that many uh, Jewish men there or worshipers of God in order to have a synagogue. And what I love about that is that that did not stop these women. They were like, okay, we don't have a place, fine. We'll meet by the river. I just picture it in my head of like a super serene um, river. It's probably some beautiful trees, maybe some olive trees. And um, they are uh, just enjoying each other's company. I think about right now when we are living during COVID and um, most of us aren't able to actually meet in our physical church buildings And so we're doing picnics in Central Park, or we're jumping down to Riverside, or we're doing um, the uh, picnics in our, um, our park by the church. And it's just so cool that these women were not remotely stopped by um, not having a place of worship, but yet they chose to come and work together, uh, or uh, sorry, and pray together, which is just really exciting and really cool. And I think that it's really amazing how God is going to speak to the people whose hearts are prepared, regardless of status or cultural expectations. We know that in this time in history, women weren't super regarded um, typically as leaders or as valuable members of society. Most of them couldn't even be citizens in their countries um, or with their ethnicity. And yet it didn't matter. That wasn't stopping um, them from meeting and it wasn't stopping Paul from coming to see them. The next thing that I notice as I'm reading about this is that her position is one of independence. Later on in the story, which we'll come back to, she tells Paul and his companions to come to her house and stay. Now, this is pretty counter countercultural because um, Lydia seems to have the freedom to invite a group to her house without getting a man's consent. Again, this would not have been normal culturally. The speculation um, from many commentaries is that she's actually a widow, um, but we don't know for sure. Regardless, that's not the point though. What is really cool is that she's clearly a woman, a woman who is again presenting a contradiction to the cultural norms. We see over and over and over again in scripture that God comes to, Jesus comes to, the people who are countercultural, the people who don't fit in, the outcasts, the misfits, the marginalized, um, and whether Lydia is a widow or um, whether she is just a super independent woman, um, this is rare. This is very, very rare, and yet it's found here in scripture, and we get to watch her conversion take place. Uh, The next thing that we notice is that she's a businesswoman. This is another thing uh, that probably has come up before if you've ever studied the story of Lydia. The scripture actually says, um, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyresia, a seller of purple goods. A little bit of context for um, this time and place in history is that the area was known for this really expensive purple dye. Actually, it was because of the natural resources that they had there in their city, Um, but it was very, very expensive. And so for her to be 
be named um, specifically as a seller of purple, it would have been both an honor and even potentially a title um, to say like someone is a seller of purple. It gives this idea that they are in leadership and that their business is a core part of who they are. Um, the ancient ruins around this area show us that there were specific guilds to promote the craftsmanship and trade of purple goods. Um, and so once again, we are finding Lydia as a complete anomaly, not only as a woman, not only as an independent woman, but as an independent female business owner. She does not make sense in light of her culture, and yet we see her in scripture being treasured. And then the last thing that I want to jump to in this section of talking about her position before conversion is that the scripture says she was a worshiper of God. Now, this is pretty confusing because we have seen that most people um, who, at least in our day and age, who are like converts, um, oftentimes don't know Christ and then they know him. That's kind of the natural thing of what we think of when we're talking about conversions to Christ. And yet in this story, she was honoring the Sabbath by going and meeting with other women to pray. And it lists her as a worshiper of God. There's speculation on whether she was Jewish um, or if she just believed that there was one true God but didn't know much about him. Um, but regardless, she at minimum believed in a singular God. And what I love about this is that God prepares people um, far before we even get there to speak the gospel to them. Uh, she chose to worship despite not having a full understanding of what she was worship worshiping or the full gospel. And I love that that's such a good picture of God taking us as we are and just asking us to start with what we know. So often we say that Christ um, or that God says in scripture to come as you are, but then we end up like culturally just attaching things to that of like, okay, but you need to know this. You need to change this lifestyle and you need to do this. Um, I have a roommate that um, I lived with back in um, Virginia before I moved to New York. And uh, she remembers talking about her lifestyle and how um, it was very counter to the gospel. But she was meeting with a mentor and getting to a place where she was like, I think I believe this. I think it's true. But she told her mentor, I'm in a place now where I know that I have to change my life in order to believe this. And there were very specific things about her lifestyle that she knew she was going to have to give up, but she just couldn't understand why. And her mentor said something to her that is, I think is so, so beautiful. Uh, she looked her in the eyes. I will never forget hearing this story. She's like, she grabbed her. She looked her in the eyes and she said, those are not gospel issues. Come to Christ and Christ will handle the rest. And my roommate talked about how she came to know Christ. She believed that it was real. And over time, her understanding developed her lifestyle began to change. She didn't even care for some of the things that she used to care for and that she used to want to cling to so dearly because she was in love with Christ and she saw how much greater that was. But it wasn't that she had to clean up her life, that she had to figure it all out and that she had to be in the perfect place beforehand. It was just that she had to come. And I think even though we don't see some dramatic lifestyle in Lydia's story, we do get that idea of she was just coming just showing up, worshiping the Lord, and then God brought Paul into her life, who was able to illuminate the gospel. So then jumping into that next part, first we know um, that she was in a position that was very unique. She was kind of a cultural anomaly um, in her area, but that she was just stepping up um, and worshiping with what she knew. 
Next, we see that Lydia is um, prompted towards conversion. I love, love, love this example because, um, sorry, I'm like gushing about how much I love this story, but I really do. I'm not just making that up, um, but I uh, love how we get to see the Holy Spirit at work here, especially in our Western um, kind of uh, philosophical existential world. We can sometimes forget, even as Christians, how active the Holy Spirit should be in our lives. And I truly believe that no kingdom work happens apart from God's presence, but we cannot be a part of this work if we are not listening. The first part of this story, and the reason I wanted to start in verse 9, is because we see the Holy Spirit prompting Paul to go to this area and speak to the people there. It says, starting in verse 9, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Not only was Paul going to preach the gospel, but he was going to preach the gospel because God had sent him there to do it. It was very clear in a vision that he had to go, that he was being called directly there. God knew that Lydia was there, um, and the jailer who we're going to learn about um, in the next few weeks and um, so many others were ripe for the harvest and so on Paul's journey and uh, the journey with his companions he was prompted by the Holy Spirit and he listened but not only did God prompt Paul to go he also prompted Lydia's heart to pay attention the verse says the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul it's incredible to me how consistent this is with scripture. We three, we see all throughout scripture that um, there's a prompting of hearts either to soften or to harden um, multiple different scenarios in scripture. And in this instance, we see that there's a clear softening. Um, not only was Lydia's heart already open because she was willing to worship, but she was prompted specifically to pay attention to what Paul was saying. So again, I just want to reiterate that there's no kingdom work that happens apart from God's presence. We see evidence of this in John 6, 44, when it says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. So the father has to be drawing people to um, the gospel or they're not going to hear it. Um, but then also we cannot be a part of the work if we are not listening. I've been reflecting a lot lately on the story of Samuel. Uh, I think it's so fascinating to me because in so many parts of scripture, we see these giants of faith making like severe failures. Um, but then Samuel, for the most part, um, you know, he has some stuff here and there, but for the most part, it's just consistently honoring the Lord um, and speaking truth into other people's lives. And so I've been diving into that lately because it just seems like an anomaly to me. And um, it really struck me the other day when I was reading 1 Samuel uh, 3, 8 through 9, the way that Samuel was listening to God. It says, then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. There's another part of um, this uh, passage of scripture where it says something along the lines of uh, Samuel having never like heard from the Lord before. So we literally have record of the very first time that Samuel is hearing from God. And I think so often as Christians, we get 
so bogged down, like with how do I hear the voice of the Lord? What do I need to do? What signs do I need to be looking out for? You know, we've got the whole Gideon and putting his fleece out kind of situation. Um, and we're just wondering, like, what do I need to do in here in order to hear the voice of the Lord? And Eli's advice for Samuel, I would argue, is the same advice that God is giving us today, which is to just say, I'm listening. That's it. Just to say, I'm listening, Lord. In our busy, loud, crazy world, it can be hard to just listen, hard to just focus on what God is saying. And yet that's all it took. The very first time that God spoke to Samuel, all Samuel had to say was, I'm listening. And then he ended up being the mouthpiece of God and having direct communication with him for decades after that. Another scripture I think about in this um, instance is John 10, 27, where it says, my sheep uh, hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. The more familiar we are with God, the more that we're diving into his word and the more that we're trying to hear them, trying to hear him, the more that we will. In this instance, I think about um, one of my good friends, Allie, who actually just came to visit me um, a couple weeks ago and we uh, went hiking and it was wonderful. We had such a good time and so many conversations about the Lord. And Allie is one of those people who probably has more um, charismatic leanings than I do um, in theology. Um, not because I don't think that God is still speaking to people um, or because I don't think that he, um, the Holy Spirit is active. I do. It's just not something that I am as comfortable with and as practiced in. But Allie is the kind of person who I know her faith so intimately. I see her studying scripture that when she says that she's heard from the Lord, I believe her. I have no reason not to because I've seen her faith consistent over and over again. And I've seen the way she studies scripture and then anything she thinks she's hearing from the Lord, um, she like puts through that filter of like, okay, what does scripture say? Does this align with it? So we were talking about this concept because I was talking about how much I wanted to hear from the Lord in a couple of areas in my life, but about how much it like freaks me out to even ask that because I'm like, I don't know, visions, dreams, prophecies. That's a lot for me to take in. And theologically, I don't even fully know how to uh, filter through those things. And I don't know why <laughs> I was expecting, I think maybe like a list because I love lists or some criteria or maybe some in-depth uh, theology and philosophy. And yet, in her gracious wisdom, Allie just said to me, she was like, well, you're not going to be hearing from the Lord if you're not listening to him. She was like, anytime you think you're hearing from the Lord, respond to his prompting. And the more that you do that, the more familiar his voice will come, will become. And it just felt so simple and yet so hard. Later on in our hiking trip, um, we were uh, actually, we just arrived at the top of a mountain and I just felt the Holy Spirit saying to me, um, stop and just pray for Allie. And I was like, okay, well, this feels like a low lift. Like she's one of my best friends. She loves the Lord. It's not going to be that weird for me to say, Hey, I really want to pray for you right now on top of this mountain. So I was like, all right, I guess I will. So we paused and I prayed for her and I just prayed literally whatever came into my mind. And after I finished praying, Allie shared with me that those were the, some of the exact things that have been on her mind and on her heart and that she's been seeking wisdom about. And here I was without even knowing those things, praying for her on top of a mountain, just because I was like, all right, I guess I'll just listen right now. 
um, that was such a cool experience and just being transparent with you all. Um, I feel like I'm very much in uh, a place of exploring what it means to listen to the Lord. So I am by no means an expert at this. Um, but I think that Allie's wisdom really rings true. And I think we see that um, in this uh, scripture, the idea that we need to be listening to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Um, but it takes practice. It's not something you're just going to overnight be really great at and say like, oh, okay, well, the Holy Spirit is speaking to me now. We have to start listening in the small stuff um, so that we can hear um, when the voice is growing louder um, and being even more specific. Another thing I think about um, with this is uh, the way that the Holy Spirit prompts me with my uh, friends who don't know the Lord. I feel like I could easily talk to them about Jesus um, and talk to them about the gospel nonstop, 24-7. And um, I don't think it would be that effective because there is the reality that God needs to be prompting their hearts just as much as he's guiding my words. And so my consistent prayer as I've been talking to my friends who I so desperately want to believe like I believe um, and so deeply want them to know Christ and have this life-giving relationship that I have, um, I'm just becoming very aware that sometimes I just need to listen and sometimes I do need to say things and that in my own wisdom, I don't know which is which. I have this book um, that I'm pretty sure my mother gave me actually when I was in middle school, which is fair if you knew me in middle school. Um, but the name of the book is When to Speak Up and When to Shut Up. And um, I read the book. I read it multiple times actually. And it's good. It's a good text. But I think ultimately, especially with um, when it comes to like sharing the gospel, it's really all about listening to the Holy Spirit because there's no rules, there's no rhyme, there's no reason. Um, well, I don't want to say no, sometimes there is. Um, but honestly, it's just a consistent prayer of Lord, tell me when I need to say something and tell me when I need to listen. Um, because I don't know the difference and I'm not in their hearts uh, perceiving it the same way that Christ is in his intimate knowledge. One of the commentaries as I was studying uh, said, it is the supernatural work of God, not the wisdom or persuasiveness of the preacher that ultimately draws people to Christ. And I think that's the best description of what's happening with this story as Lydia is being prompted to conversion. God was preparing and sending Paul to her um, to speak the truth. And God was preparing and um, guiding Lydia's heart uh, towards uh, paying attention to what he had to say. That brings us to um, the point of conversion. And it's really interesting because I think in many stories, like the point of conversion is this like whole huge, massive event where it's like, they have an aha moment or they turn away from everything they were doing previously and they turn towards Christ. But we've already talked about the fact that Lydia did believe in a singular God and whether she was Jewish or um, just seeking, we don't particularly know, but it shouldn't be all that surprising to us then that her conversion, her point of conversion is actually pretty simple. The scripture just says that she paid attention and was baptized. And I love this idea that understanding the gospel is mostly just paying attention. As a teacher, I know this very well. Um, I teach middle schoolers, for those of you who don't know, and I feel like 85% of my job is just getting them to pay attention to what I say. Um, I've worked really hard over the years at crafting really interesting lessons and making sure that my instruction is very, very clear and they know exactly what I'm saying. Um, but 
Unfortunately, if they're not paying attention and listening to anything that I'm saying, then no amount of clarity or engagement actually matters and they still will not learn. I feel like I have this one student who um, consistently uh, struggles academically, but it's not because he can't. Um, he's actually very naturally smart. He just doesn't pay attention. Uh, I wish I had a dollar, even a dime for every time that I say to him, please pay attention throughout the day because I would be rich, very, very rich. And as a teacher, that's a big deal. Um, but it was interesting because a couple of weeks ago, um, just in this time of COVID, figuring out how to teaching and dealing with the stressors of that, we had kind of had a heavy couple of days um, just between some class discussions we had had and then um, trying to figure out some uh, things with our live stream and the hybrid learning. And it was just rough. The kids were feeling it. The teachers were feeling it. And we were supposed to have this conversation about racial injustice during um, we have a block each week about like having current event conversations. And I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. We've had many of these conversations before. It's it's a pretty emotional time. Um, and I think it's very fruitful, but we were already in such a heavy place that I was like, we're not gonna do this. Instead today, we'll push it off till next week, but instead today we are going to spend time in celebration. And so I had everybody, I said, write down every accomplishment that you've done this year, like regardless of whether it's big, whether it's small, we're, we're going to celebrate it all. We're going to talk about it and we're just going to be joyous about every single one of the things that we list out. And so once they listed them out, I had them all share out and it was, first of all, as a teacher, it was just such a joy to see them identifying things that I had identified and celebrated and, you know, been telling my boss like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. This kid is doing this and I'm so proud because this has been a long journey um, for them. I've been teaching these kids for three years. I, I know their goals and I know their um, strengths and weaknesses inside and out. Um, and then I got to this one scholar who always struggles to pay attention. And uh, the thing he most wanted to celebrate was that he feels like he's doing really well in school and um, that he is understanding the concepts better, especially um, in math. And I loved it because he's right. I completely agree with him. But then I had to ask the follow-up question of, huh, and why do you think that is? Why do you think you're understanding better? And without skipping a beat, he was like, well, because I'm listening to you. Uh, it was just so easy to see um, the parallel between um, my relationship with this student and um, our relationship with God. Yes, I know I'm comparing myself to God in this scenario. That is not a remotely accurate comparison, but for the sake of the analogy, I know Jared's going to make fun of me about that later. Um, what I want us to see is this idea that um, half of it is just paying attention paying attention to what Christ is saying. Um, there's no, or there doesn't have to be this point of conversion that is just like mind-blowingly, earth-shattering, breaking, huge. Because all it is, is paying attention and responding to the gospel. I love that God told her to pay attention and then she was baptized along with her household. There's no aha moments. There's just seeing the truth and then the next logical step. And I do believe as a Christian that if people authentically see the truth and the Lord has opened up their heart to pay attention, that the next logical step will be conversion. So we see in Lydia's story, this idea that um, the conversion really just comes down to uh, listening to the Lord and paying attention to truth. 
And then the last thing that we see is the product of her conversion. And I also love the products of her conversion. Like I said, I love the story because it's almost as simple as her point of conversion. Some converts go on to do incredible things um, and bring many others to Christ as well in Acts. Lydia may have done similar things to that, but we don't really hear much about her after this. Yet, I believe that what we do hear about her is the story of most believers. I think it's the story for most of our um, New City family. It's a story of using what she had, just whatever resources she had, and then living faithfully day to day. When we jump back into Acts 16, I'm in verse 15, it says, And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. I love this idea that as soon as you are, um, as soon as Lydia converted, she immediately treated everyone like family. This is the reality of our uh, faith family. That's why we call it a faith family, because we are a community that is immediately accepting towards one another and welcoming towards one another. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Scripture tells us that, and Lydia immediately begins to act that out. In fact, she goes back to her household and she brings them in as well. She's like, okay, if you're going to, sorry, my plan. If you're going to be, um, if you're going to be my family now, I want my actual family, uh, my servants, uh, my family members, whoever it is, to come and join us as well. And she brings them to the Lord and then they are baptized. But then also she invites Paul and his companions to come back with her. Remember, we talked about this earlier, this idea that she was such an independent woman that for whatever the reason, she was able to invite people into her house without asking for a man's consent. And she did it freely. Later on in scripture, we find out that her house ended up kind of being a meeting place for believers. We'll jump over to that in just a second. But in order for it to be a meeting place for believers, it had to be fairly large. We know that there were larger groups that were meeting there later. And so we have this idea of her being a businesswoman that we learned earlier and her being independent. And she immediately uses those things for the gospel. It's not like she, uh, she took her independence and her um, business owning uh, leadership, et cetera, and was like, okay, well, I am a Christian now, so I have to take a vow of poverty and I'm going to put all those things away. Instead, she took the resources that she had and she immediately used them for the gospel. She immediately used them to further what the kingdom was doing. And then I love how right after that, uh, she said, if you have judged me to uh, be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And then it says, and she prevailed upon us. Uh, when I was looking up what prevailed mean, the idea that just kept coming up over and over was this idea of her just being fervent, like she refused to give up. Uh, and I love that perseverant idea in uh, scripture that uh, not only was her faith a faith for uh, the community, not only was it a faith that used her resources and was hospitable, but also it was a faith that was fervent, fervent and didn't take no for an answer. Um, I think about some of the uh, most uh, intense, for lack of a better word, uh, women in my life who don't take no for an answer. And frankly, those are the kind of women who I uh, want sharing the gospel and I want taking care of, um, of other believers and non-believers because they are forceful in a way that is like, no, this is good for you. And I can just picture Lydia uh, being that way. 
then we jump over into Acts uh, 1640, uh, which is a little bit later in the story. And it says, so they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. A little bit of context um, that we're going to get into uh, later on in our A Story of My Life series is uh, they've actually just been in prison. So Paul and his companions have been in prison. We know specifically Paul and Silas, and they've just been released from prison. Now, I don't know about you, but if I have just been released from prison, uh, went through an earthquake to get out of prison, was beaten in the process, and I'm released, the place that I'm going next is somewhere where I feel comfortable, where I feel safe, and where I'm going to be encouraged. Where do they go? They go to Lydia's house. I think that speaks volumes about who she is as a person and about how much her faith immediately impacted her hospitality and also her consistency. This wasn't an event that just happened right after her conversion, but Paul and Silas were continuing their mission work and then this horrible thing happened to them. God was glorified in it, but then frankly, they probably needed a break. And where did they go? Back to Lydia's house because she's continuing to be faithful. So we see the product of her conversion is that she is welcoming to the community. She's hospitable, but she's also consistent and she's a co-laborer. If we jump over to Philippians 4.3 um, and just a little bit of context, if Philippians is the uh, letter that is being written to the church in Philippi. Um, that is uh, Lydia's church. Many, many um, historians and commentators believe that the church was continuing to meet in Lydia's house. So we can assume that Lydia was um, part of the audience for Philippians. In Philippians 4.3, it says, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So we see that Lydia is um, faithfully committed to her faith community. She is hospitable. She is fervent. She's consistent. And then she's also a co-laborer. I love that it says worked side by side. So not like supported and sent money and then went on your way. Not, okay, I got your back. I'm going to be praying for you but side by side. Now, don't get me wrong. Financial support and prayer support are hugely important parts of um, co-laboring and side by side work. So I don't want to diminish those at all. But there's a clear and obvious reference to the idea that these women in the church in Philippi were actually active members of the church. They weren't just listeners. They weren't just lay people who weren't allowed to do anything, who weren't allowed to participate, but they were actually a part of the active work of building the kingdom of God. We see that the church in Philippi grew, and in Philippians, Paul even recognizes it as uh, kind of like his favorite church, uh, where he is talking um, about how grateful he is for them and how it's right for him to rejoice in them. And so we know that the church in Philippi, um, despite not being perfect, was truly thriving. And that was because of the work that people were doing there consistently, which is referenced in this part of Philippians and in many others. It wasn't just that women were working, but women are specifically referenced in this part especially as a woman of faith who sometimes looks at scripture and is like okay where are the women here like I want to be active in my faith and I want to be spreading the gospel so what do I do I find so much hope in the fact that women were accepted as being side by side working with Paul together what that looks like specifically and logistically scripture doesn't tell us and I don't think we need to get into the point is that she had a role and that because she was involved with the community, hospitable, fervent, and consistent, she was also supposed to be a co-laborer. 
And so I think when we put all of those products of her convision together, what we ultimately see is that just that Lydia is living an obedient life. It'd be very easy to talk about all of the great works of faith that happen after conversion. And God is certainly powerful and certainly doing those things. But that's not the only work that he's doing. God did not call us to live a big life. He called us to live an obedient one. Sure, for some people, that may be a big, dramatic, exciting life. But for most people, it's not. I want to say that again, because that was something that I well, used to struggle with and still continue to struggle with. God did not call us to live a big life. He called us to live an obedient one. Growing up, I used to hear stories of um, these like crazy conversions and martyrs and all of the amazing work that God was doing. And I remember looking back on that and thinking, okay, well, what am I going to be doing in that? Am I going to be writing a book? Am I going to be a missionary? Uh, for a while, I thought I was going to write worship songs, which was a terrible idea because I'm not a great singer. Um, but I just wondered like, what is the big thing that God is going to ask me to do? And I remember actually thinking, no joke, my biggest fear in life, I'm kind of a daredevil. So there's many things that I'm not afraid of, but one of my biggest fears in life all the way until I was about 25 was that God was going to call me to live in a suburb with a white picket fence, 2.4 kids and a dog, just the basic average life. And that terrified me. It was not what I wanted at all. Yet, when I think about the pillars of faith in my life, some of the people who have influenced me the most, it's the consistency and the obedience. It's not the exciting and it's not the dramatic. Um, I think about my grandparents' faithfulness when they have been through very difficult trials and the fact that they still dive into scripture and they still continue to pray and honor the Lord, even when they don't understand. Um, I think about um, the woman I know who has been praying for her husband's salvation for over 20 years, every single day. That's faithfulness. That's consistency. I think about um, this woman named Hazel, uh, who at my home church growing up, um, every week we would have um, before like kids programs and midweek Bible study, we would have a meal as a church family, which was something I really, really loved as a kid. Um, but every Wednesday never failed as a teenager, regardless of how horrible my week was or how much my hormones were raging. I could get in line and I knew that Hazel would be there um, at the beginning of the line to uh, hand me my plate and ask me about my week. Um, I think about her faithfulness all the time and the fact that I honestly don't know what else she was doing for the gospel to be completely transparent. But I knew that she was at church every week and I knew that she was consistently there with a smile on her face being obedient. Um, those are the pillars of the faith that I think about. And that's the pillar of faith that I want to strive to be. Not to be um, someone who's got a flair for the dramatics or who is single-handedly bringing so many conversions to Christ. Obviously, as we've already learned from Lydia's story, it can't happen apart from Christ. But that's not the story that I want people talking about. I want to, know for, I want to be known for being obedient and for just trusting the Lord faithfully. The scary part about that is that I don't know what that means. Um, and it can mean, it can mean a lot of things. I think it involves a level of consistency in listening to the Lord and faithfully studying scripture that I, um, 
I really have to like lean into and trust um, because it doesn't mean that I have all my steps figured out and like, okay, go be a missionary, check that off the list. You're clearly serving God now. But instead it involves getting up and going to teach middle schoolers every day and just thinking, am I in scripture? Am I listening to the Lord? And have I been obedient today? And that's the beauty of it, even though I am not in a suburb with a white picket fence, which I'm very glad about. I love living in New York City and um, being a part of our faith community with all of you. My life isn't that dramatically exciting. Middle schoolers are middle schoolers. Nothing about them is exciting other than they have hormones. And yet God has drawn me here and he has been faithful here. As messy and confusing as life sometimes is, um, consistent obedience to him is absolutely what makes it meaningful. And I'm not always great at it, but a list of exciting adventures or dramatic mission work isn't going to change that. What continuously makes my day better, what continuously um, gives me fulfillment and uh, like having a full life in Christ is just following what he's calling me to do and consistently diving in and worshiping and spending time with him. I think about in Philippians four. So one of those, uh, in that letter that was written to, um, Lydia and others in the church in Philippi, and it says Philippians four, nine, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And so today, as we're thinking about Lydia, we know that her position was very countercultural, but with influence, and that she was practicing what she did know, despite of what she didn't. We see the prompting and the clear action by the Holy Spirit in both Lydia and Paul's lives to lead to this conversion. We know that her point of conversion was primarily centered around just paying attention to the truth. And we know the product was consistent and fervent obedience. And so I simply wanna to finish today by asking, are you learning, receiving, hearing from the Lord, and are you putting it into practice? I know for me, that's easier said than done, but it's something that I know brings about a life of full joy and full peace. And that's what I want to pray for us. Let me pray as we close. God, I want to thank you so much um, again for bringing us this story of Lydia and the beauty of um, just how you bring people to you in different ways. I'm so incredibly um, impressed with the uniqueness of every situation um, that we see in scripture where it continuously points to you. Um, and, I'm, and I'm just so blessed to have a consistent, obedient woman um, like Lydia in scripture um, that I can look to to remind me day in and day out of what it means to follow you. I ask that you would just help us as we are reflecting on this scripture, that we would focus more um, on being obedient than dramatic, that we would focus more on being uh, faithful than being exciting, and that we would truly be people who are welcoming to our community, who are hospitable, who are fervent, and who are wholly focused on you. In Jesus' name, amen. What's my story? My name is Jared Parsons, and my story has to do with love. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, and from an early age, I knew that God was just, and I grew up knowing that my actions had consequences, and I 
was terrified that those actions were gonna send me to hell. In fact, the earliest prayer I remember was praying that God wouldn't send me to hell. And that's what I thought it, it meant to be a Christian. And it wasn't until several years later, uh, first really when I was 16, I heard someone say that um, what Jesus did on the cross, he did because he loved us and he actually took all of our sin on him and, and in love gave us his resume, his record of righteousness, so that when God looks at me, he's, he is no longer mad at me. And I was floored by this. I, I thought it was too good to be true. And uh, I, I began, I began to, to really explore this. And it wasn't until I was in college and reading the book of Galatians that I realized that Jesus really does love me and likes me too that he uh, isn't mad at me and that he wants a relationship with me. And I've seen the love of God change my life over the last several years. And um, that's my story.